BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hi, everyone. I'm Denise Hanitka, and you are listening to episode 103 of On a Mother Level. Thank you for being here. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. And this is the conclusion of the episodes for the year 2021. I was a little worried about putting out a year-ender episode and that I wouldn't have any deep thoughts to share with you. But it turns out that this episode does the heavy lifting for me. That's because my guest today is Katie Purcell. Katie Purcell is expecting her third. She does not know the gender, although her daughter has a spooky prediction that you will hear about later. But she is ending this year on a high, high note. And it's a place she never imagined that she would be after so, so much loss. This is her third baby. She uses the word hopefully. This is hopefully her third baby, but her ninth pregnancy. And so it's been a very, very long journey. In this episode, she explains how she got through a very long infertility journey, the trip from hell that helped her decide that they were going to try for baby number three, the magical unicorn, she calls that baby number three, and the other baby in her life, which is her new book inspired by her work as a pediatric physical therapist. I particularly love the way this episode ends because we both share a mantra that has gotten us through some really hard times. She has had a great year. I have had a garbage year. And so we kind of come together on the end of it. And so that's why um, this is my year ender. I saved this in particular to wrap up the shit show that has been 2021 and to move forward into 2022 with fresh eyes and a fresh outlook. And Katie Purcell is just the guest to take us there. In case you haven't noticed, we're going to swear in this episode. So small ears might not like this one. Here we go, though. Katie Purcell. First of all, tell me where you are right now. Where are you sitting? I am in the office of my home, which is in the basement. My husband has taken it over since he's he works for John Deere. So he's been home working since March of 2020. Um, and if you look around, you can tell because there's crap everywhere. <laughs> Every time I come down here, I'm like, can you take your lunch plate up and put it in the dishwasher, you know, or... There's kids puzzles strewn all over the floor. How pregnant are you right now? (laughs) I am pregnant enough to want the baby out tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 33 weeks and five days pregnant. So now I'm going to ask this next question, but I want you to bear in mind what you wrote in the questionnaire. When I ask you, how are you? I'm actually asking, how are you today, right now, in this moment? How are you? 
I am considering my whole life right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really great. I feel like, uh, you know, there's highs and lows in life. Right. And I feel like I'm definitely on a high right now and I'm just trying to enjoy it and ride it out because I know that the highs don't always last very long. So I'm really good. Work's going well. I'm expecting a third baby that I didn't know if that would ever come. And it has, I just wrote a book and I've been hearing, you know, people like it, which is great. My family's doing well. So I'm doing really good. Oh, that's great to hear. A friend of mine who's expecting her second at the end of December just posted on Instagram today. And I've been thinking about it ever since she just, she asked the question, you know, as she's 37 weeks pregnant, when do I feel like myself again? You know, and I was putting myself back in her shoes of, you know, being weeks away from having your second. And do you feel any of that? Like how much like yourself do you feel right now? I do not feel like myself, (laughs) mostly because my, my body is given to another human. Right. And I, I've, I've physically though, I don't have any pain. So I'm like, I'm doing really good. I'm still able to move. Yes, I'm short of breath after one flight of stairs. <laughs> um, but I keep remembering after I had my second, I remember feeling that feeling a lot. Like after she had come out, it was like, oh my gosh, my hair is still just like so thick. And I'd have to like comb all of that out in the shower. You know how your hair just like finally starts to come out and there's so much of it everywhere. And your body's big and flabby and you're like, I want my body back right now. Uh, so lately that has been crossing my mind and I'm like, Ooh, not looking forward to that part. Based on the limited amount that I know about your story and we're going to get a little bit more into it, but are you feeling like this will be your last pregnancy? Yes. Yes. I kind of feel like this was our magical unicorn (laughs) and that won't happen again. And I'm also older and pregnancy has been harder this time because I think I'm older and it's third pregnancy. So I'm bigger everywhere. Um, and this pregnancy has just been, it's, it's not been a bad pregnancy by any stretch of the means, but I was like allergic to it in the beginning. So I had hives for the first three months. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I think it came from, I, I was, I'm a big gardener and I think I might've gotten poison ivy, which apparently spurred the pregnancy hormones to like overreact. And it turned into urticaria of pregnancy, which is hives that go on. So I had that and then heartburn, um, from the beginning, I which I think that's kind of related and I get really sick for my pregnancy. So I'm still not nauseous all the time, but I would say I'm 33 weeks. And up until this point, I'm still getting sick two or three times a week. Oh my gosh. And I'm super swollen. Like, I feel like I've had the negatives of both of my other two pregnancies, plus like heartburn and hives and headaches. So anyway, it's, um, just, yeah, it's my last one. Yeah. 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 So there probably won't be a ton of nostalgia about that, about this feeling necessarily to like, I'm trying to be like, do not wish this away. This is, you know, this is probably the last time enjoy it, treasure it. And I, in certain aspects I am. And then in other aspects, 
I'm taking two care of two other kids and I just launched a book and I'm still working full time. And the weeks are just flying by, which I think is partly why too. I'm like, Oh, I'm doing good. Like I'm still doing all these things. This is, this is okay. And then I'm like, Oh, the baby's coming in six weeks. Holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to come before I know it. (laughs) Well, I imagine just the concept of pregnancy is complex for you because, um, this is your ninth pregnancy. Yes. Yes. This is my ninth pregnancy. (laughs) What does that number mean to you? Well, I think of the journey that nine pregnancies is. And, uh, I was thinking in the car the other day, cause I'm like nine, this is my ninth pregnancy and it's just been a journey. You know, it started out really exciting getting pregnant the first time. And then I went through a period of about three years where I had multiple miscarriages and it was awful. I was, it was a bad time, you know, and the unknown of not knowing if I'd ever be able to have my own children, if I'd ever be a mother, if adoption would work or if it wouldn't, if my husband and I would make it through it. And then we went through fertility treatments and lost some, had some babies, you know, um, it's just, it's been a journey. And I, I actually, I'm to the point now where I can say that I can own it. Like it's my journey and it's brought me where I am. And I'm grateful for that. Five years ago, I would not have been able to tell you that, Yeah, (laughs) you know, but it takes, it takes all of that to get to a place where you can appreciate the good that has happened along with the negative, you know? Sure. Sure. But, you know, it struck me in reading your answers that you used the word hopefully twice, you know, you're sitting here 33 weeks pregnant and you're still saying the word hopefully that's a big word to be 33 weeks pregnant. Like there's still a lot of fear there, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you learn that I think any woman learns that if they ever lose a pregnancy at any stage, there's no guarantees. You know, the, the miscarriages that I've had have fortunately for me been earlier on in the process. And, um, but they were still awful. You know, that was still a child that I was expecting and I was excited about and you just never know. And I, I hear, I talk to people about miscarriages all the time. Cause I'm, I'm pretty open about it. So most people, you know, either here come to me and talk to me and, or if they tell me like, Oh yeah, I, I lost it. You know, I'll say, Oh, how are you? You know? And they'll go, Oh, it was fine. It was only so many weeks. And every time I'm like, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter if it was two days, you were hopeful. There was a baby there. You need to grieve that. You don't need to brush that away and say, Oh, it was only X amount you know, and I get that it's very different at different stages. You know, it's different if you have a miscarriage than if you actually have to birth the child. It's different at all these different stages and time affects it too. You know, how much time you're putting into it and all that, but a loss is a loss no matter what. Um, and I, I am a physical therapist. I specialize in babies and infants with brain injury. Um, so, you know, I see a lot of babies who were born with the cord wrapped around their neck and it didn't go well, or who 
had didn't have oxygen at birth or they came at 24 weeks, they came at 28 weeks, they came at 32 weeks. So I think part of that too is what I do every day is see the worst case scenario. So I'm the person that when I hit 24 weeks, I'm like, yes, I've hit viability, you know, and my family, you know, if I say that to them, or if I say that to people not in the field line of work that I do, they're like, yeah, but you have so much farther to go. Why are you excited now? Because if I had the baby today, it would probably survive, you know, and I've seen babies who've been born at 24 weeks and they've, some have not done well, some have done well, and it's amazing. So I'm excited to hit that mark and every day after until for full term. Yeah. <laughs> the realization for me that I don't know what could happen even at 30 33 weeks is very real to me. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sorry that it's like that, you know, because I don't think that um someone who hasn't been through what you've been through maybe necessarily appreciates that level of worry. You know what I mean? Like I can honestly tell you that when I got to 33 weeks with both of my boys, I wasn't worried, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, that's a gift that I don't think I considered at the time. Right. And yeah, like you said, I think that's probably the majority. Um, especially if you haven't had a loss, but it, yeah, every week is a, a little mini celebration, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When do you think that you started being open about what you were going through? Was it from the beginning or did, um, did you get a certain point in the process when, when you needed it or wanted it or what made you open up about it? Um, I think it was when I hit a certain level of frustration, my husband and I had been married for a couple of years. We got pregnant and miscarried and a few people knew, but not everybody. And then you think, oh, that's fine. You know, we'll just get pregnant again and it'll be okay next time. That's what the doctor said, you know? So we got pregnant again and then it didn't work. And at this point you're starting to see everyone else around you who's breathing is getting pregnant, right? Like that's always how it goes. And I think after the third one, I was just in such a state of frustration of why it was not working, you know, and why was I getting pregnant if it wasn't going to work? And like, why are people still asking me about this? And I think I hit a point where certain people would say things to me and I just didn't care what I said back. Like I had a lady at work. She was like, uh, you know, Katie, some people just aren't meant to have their own kids. What? Yeah. I like clearly years later, I I still vividly remember that. Oh gosh. Yeah. The worst comments I've ever heard in my life. And I was, I just looked at her and I said, well, that's not very nice. (laughs) And I walked away where normally I probably wouldn't have said that, you know, or, um, well, that was mild. You were being very polite there. Oh, I, but, but it was like that certain point of frustration. I, I even think I went to, when I was pregnant with my first, um, living child, like, so my sixth pregnancy, I was 12 weeks pregnant and I fell down like three, three, um, steps. Oh my gosh. And I went in and out of a fluke of nature, the nurse, I think had the wrong chart. And I went in and she said something about a hysterectomy. And I'm like, did you not read my chart? Like, that's not why I'm here. I'm pregnant, you know? And she's like, oh, okay. You know? And I said like, well, and I did IVF. I've I've had multiple miscarriages. I'm really concerned about 
about, about this. I want to know if I can hear the heartbeat. And she looked at me and she goes, Oh, did you have trouble getting pregnant? And I said, no, all of my babies just die. Like I had no care for her feelings at that point. Like, don't look at me like that. Even if I did, what are you judging? You know, but no, that wasn't it. I just told you we've had multiple miscarriages and I fell down three stairs. I have legitimate concern here. And you're looking at me like, oh, no. (laughs) So I, I, uh, I think it was just a certain level of frustration that I didn't care about hiding it. I didn't care who knew that we were struggling. I didn't care. And part of me wanted people to know so they'd stop asking in those weird ways, you know, cause it's like, also people will be like, Oh, you know, it's time for you or, well, we can't wait to hear your news. And you know, it's well-meaning, but when you're in that time and you're trying as hard as you can and you're frustrated and you don't understand why it's none of it is what you want to hear. No. You want to punch that person in the face, even if you know it's well-meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember. And, you know, we didn't struggle Uh, in nearly the same way at all. But for anyone who didn't get pregnant on the first try or didn't have a loss, you're like, I remember like playing with my nieces and nephews or people who would have kids. And then they would always remark like, oh, aren't you exhausted? Just you wait. And you're like, shut up. Yeah. (laughs) Shut up. Like I hated when people talked like, oh, you just don't understand. You just won't get it. Or just you wait until, and you're like, stop talking to me. Like, uh, like, I don't know. I just, I hated the way I was being talked to. And it's like, it was frustrating because people didn't know what they were saying was like rude or, or stupid or inconsiderate, but just everything hits you differently, you know, with the just weights and the, oh, you don't even know. And the, oh, I just hated that so much. I agree completely. I felt the same way. And it it is, it's like, they don't mean it. And honestly, you know, even, even after the fact, like after we've had kids, I found myself saying something like that and it just came out. And then I instantly felt like the worst person in the world. And I'm like, I should know better than this, but it just came out, you know? And so, yeah, but in that space, you, you don't have much room for sympathy. (laughs) No, no. And so you guys eventually found a cause of what might have been going on. So what, what did doctors tell you might be happening? So at first um, they just said, this is normal. It's one in four. That was with the first miscarriage. Okay. And we got pregnant. We miscarried again. They said, yep, this is still normal. And I'm thinking there's no way this is still normal, but okay. And then the third one, after the third one, I was like, I want to see specialists. I'm not taking a no for an answer. And she said, yeah, that's, that's what we do after the third one. And I'm thinking, I wish you had sent me after the first, but whatever. So we went to a specialist and they did, um, a whole bunch of testing and stuff and kind of walked us through. And, and initially the doctor was like, okay, well, we'll look at your anatomy. You know, it could be a blood clotting disorder. We'll look at that. We'll look at your hormones. And then the last thing he said was it, it could be genetics, but the odds of this are like super low. And if it is, you could still have your own children. It would just, it would not be a high chance of, of happening, you know? And I'm like, okay. Um, but he didn't really go into that that much because it was so rare. So we do the blood test. He's like, yeah, I think your hormones are a little off on this. We'll 
put you on this med, you know, and see, so I get pregnant again. I'm like, and I think the killer for me was like each time I had hope that it would work because something had been different than the time before, you know? Okay. Yeah. Like the first time you get pregnant, you're clearly extremely hopeful. The second time you're like, well, clearly it won't happen again. Right. Like it wouldn't happen two in a row. And then it did. And then the third time I'm, I thought the same thing, like, oh, this can't happen again. I don't know anyone who's had three in a row, you know, and then it did. And then the fourth one was like, well, okay, well now we're on medicine that's supposed to help. So I, I got pregnant with that and went in and there, I think there was no baby that time it had like dissolved. And I was like, what does this mean? And is this the genetic thing? You know, like the last case scenario. And it was the the doctor's partner. So he, I wasn't as close with him, but he's like, yeah, yeah, it's probably genetic. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Like, okay, what does that mean? You know? And he's like, well, we'll have the doctor call you. And I'm like, are you kidding? I have to sit on this for, I don't know, a week and a half till, till this happens. So um, we did the genetic testing then. And because the doctor said that was probably what it was. So I have a balanced translocation, which means on one of my X chromosomes, two of like the gametes are switched. So for me, it's one in six, but you know, for other people, it could be anywhere in that line of 23 gametes. I don't know how much. Okay. Okay. There's 23 gametes on each X chromosome and my number one and my number six are swapped. Um, so in one quarter of my eggs, they're swapped evenly the wrong way. In one quarter of my ways, they're half swapped. In one quarter, they're half swapped the other way. And in the last one, they're normal or the way they should be. So technically speaking, each pregnancy would have um, a 25% chance of survival just with those odds, not with anything else, but the actual numbers, it's like a three and 16. So it's really like a 19% chance. Okay. So we found that out and, um, you know, I work with special needs kids. So I'm, I'm, we're the type of people that if, if we would have gotten pregnant with a kid who would have had significant needs, we would have kept it and that would have been okay. You know, we were like, well, what are our options? And he said, well, with the your specific, you know, one in six translocation, the the baby won't survive. That's why you keep having miscarriages at like six, seven, eight weeks. You know, it it won't live past that. And we had kind of figured that because we had never heard a good heartbeat. Okay. So we're like, okay. So he's like, well, you can keep trying and you may get pregnant with a good one the next time, or it might be five, 10 times from now. Or we can do in vitro and then we can test the embryos and see which ones have, which ones will survive and which ones won't essentially. We thought long and hard and we're, we're Catholic. We have a strong, pretty strong faith in God. And that was probably the worst of it for me, honestly, because I felt like God was punishing me for some reason. I felt like I was doing something wrong or there was something wrong with us. And I didn't want to make the wrong decision. And I didn't know what the right decision was. So we did a lot of praying. I did a lot of like sitting in my car, screaming at God, having conversations, you know, about 
send me a sign. What do you want me to do? I don't know. I mean, at one point we even got out dice and started rolling dice to see, you know, and ultimately we decided to do in vitro. And, um, I had talked to a couple of priests about it too. Um, and did research on, cause the Catholic church does not believe in IVF. Um, but the part that I read, they, they don't believe in it because of the embryos that are like essentially killed in the process. Um, but the way they do that now that there, there aren't any embryos that like, if they wouldn't serve, if they would survive, there's no harm done to them, you know? So that kind of, um, helped me feel more okay with it. So we did in vitro, um, and we had, which is a whole nother like process, right? There's like all these crazy things about, you know, I had to call on these medications and order them from, I think like Boston, you know, and get a whole calendar on when to take what medicine. And there were these antibiotics that you're supposed to take prophylactically before you go through the egg retrieval procedure and, and all this stuff. And, um, anyway, we ended up with, let me think nine good eggs, nine eggs that fertilized. So nine embryos, six of them lasted the amount that they were supposed to and got sent to the geneticist. And three of those six were, had my balanced translocation and were not good. And three of them were not, were, were fine, which was incredible because that's 50, 50 odds. You know, we didn't ever think we'd get three. Okay. Um, after that though, the antibiotics actually made me really sick for a while and ended up with kidney stones and a couple infections. So we had to do insanely painful by the way. Oh, I like, it's like childbirth. It was awful. And I, my poor husband at the time, cause that was after I had a couple stomach infections. And then one morning I woke up with what I thought was back pain and could not get comfortable. And then I started, I'm like, we got to go to the hospital. He's like, it's like 5am. Can we just wait a little bit? And you go to urgent care. And I'm like, no, I am not. Well, I've never felt like this before. And I started throwing up and I distinctly remember my husband walking into our closet and shutting the door and screaming, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) And I'm thinking, yeah, at this point, that's where I'm at too. Like what is going on? Yeah. Um, so then by the time we got to the ER, I had realized that it was kind of coming around my side. I'm like, Oh, this is probably kidney stones. This is awful. So yeah, that, that was bad. But because of all that, the, um, implantation got delayed a few extra months and they implanted the first embryo and then it didn't make it. And I was, we were heartbroken. I mean, we had just spent all this time and money and energy into in vitro. And we thought if they were genetically okay, that should be fine. And it wasn't. And so, uh, and that happened. Like, I, I think I had my DNC for that the Friday before mother's day. So Mother's Day, it was just awful. We drove around and I'm like, okay, I feel like at this point we need to look at adoption. And we finally, we decided that and we looked at adoption and, you know, the places we went to, they were like, yeah, we can't really do much until you're done with fertility treatment. I'm like, okay. So I either need to hopefully have, you know, these next two embryos 
or go through another two miscarriages before we even start the adoption process. Like that was probably my lowest point. And it was just, it, it was so lonely because we didn't know anyone who had been where we were at that point. Like anyone we knew either had some children of their own, or if they had miscarriages, they, they figured it out and they moved on. Like we didn't know anyone who had been through at that point, five miscarriages with no children and, you know, all of these things and IVF, I did not have hope that the next two embryos were going to work at that point, you know? So it was just very lonely. We went to a couple counseling sessions that really helped. Um, but that was, that was just, it was bad. Um, And I imagine at that point, there's nothing anyone could say to you. There's no, no, there's no amount of chin up there, tiger, you know, like what, what is there that could have possibly made you feel better or hopeful or anything? Nothing really like absolutely nothing. Because even the people that had struggled that I knew that had struggled with fertility and then ended up having kids, it was like, well, yeah, but you ended up having kids for, so that's great for you. Like that doesn't tell me where I'm going to be, you know? And since every situation is different, like I, I literally, I just, I wanted someone to tell me the future, you know, which can't happen. No one knows the future, but yeah, at that point. And, and once you get to that point too, even your close friends are like, wow. Like I, I said, I was sorry the first time, you know, I've been there the second time at this point. I don't know how, I don't know what else to tell you. And I got that. I understood that, you know, uh, so then we waited, I think until, you know, I had to get my next period. And then we did the second embryo transfer and I was just really prepping myself that it would not work. I like, I, I then became in a place where I had to mentally not get my hopes up at all. And it, it worked, but still, you know, I was on eggshells for a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Until basically until the baby came and was in my arms, you know, and then, and that by that time too, you're, you're exhausted. There's so many hormones and emotions. I think, oh, I forget maybe the second day after he was born, I'm like in the, in the hospital trying to figure out my pumping situation and my husband's holding the baby. And we just looked at each other and started bawling. And it's like, well, I hope no one comes in right now. Cause we look pretty weird. <laughs> But all of that emotion, you know, just like, I can't believe we finally have our baby, you know? Uh, and then after that, I was like, well, we still have another embryo. And I was kind of in a hurry to use it because in the back of my mind, you know, I'm one of those, I'm a planner. I think about worst case scenario. I'm like, we live in Iowa. What if like a tornado comes and hits the building where our embryo is? <laughs> Like we need to get that embryo out. So you're like, if anything is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we didn't like rush into it. I think sure. Second implantation. I think my son was one and a half. So they ended up being like a little over two years apart, which is totally average. Sure. But she, that second embryo was, I remember when I, um, when we were waiting during the IVF process, for to see how many embryos we would have. I called a, a day early. Um, cause I had the, the dates mixed up that they told me 
like when we know how many we have. I call the day early and she's like, I'm like, how many do we have? And she's like, well, we won't know for sure till tomorrow, but right now there's five, possibly six. And I'm like, okay. And that whole day I was just like, come on, sixth one, like you can do it, you know? So I think between the first two, at some point I asked, I'm like, Hey, do you ever know what happened to that sixth one? You know? And she's like, Oh, that's your next one. That one was one of the genetically good ones. You know, that'll be your, your next one. And I was like, huh, interesting. Cause that just, that sixth one had been in my mind. Like, the yeah. Whole- and you rooted for that one specifically. I rooted for that one specifically. <laughs> and that's my daughter who has the brightest red hair you'll ever see and blue eyes. And it's just kind of like, well, now it's not a secret. Um, but it's this little like secret in my head. Like if anyone knew the true genetic Marvel that she is, (laughs) you know, like just the, the rarity of her, of her whole genetic system is pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. Then after that, (laughs) you know, we were, we were content, happy, really, really happy, obviously to have two healthy kids. I mean, that was way more than I would have ever dreamed of in the thick of all of the miscarriages and the fertility drugs and the kidney stones. Um, how many, how many like pinch me moments did you have every time you like, look, you know, you're like sitting there and your two children are playing on the floor. Like you probably still have those. Yes. I do all the time. Most of the time when I'm, I'll like lay on the couch, you know, and we'll watch TV as a family. And of course I've got one curled up in front of me and the other one on me. And I just think like, yeah, this is what I've dreamed of. And this is awesome. And I can't believe we're here. Mm -hmm. So all the time, (laughs) all the time. So how did third baby come to you? Oh, so this is a really fun story. (laughs) So, you know, after my, uh, my, my daughter, my youngest, um, she was one and we went on a family vacation for a family reunion in Milwaukee, which is like a six hour drive for us from Des Moines. And we're on our way up there. And this was like the trip from hell. I just, (laughs) I don't even know how else to say it. We just went up because we thought it'd be fun, like to go up, maybe go to the zoo. You know, my family was going to a Cubs Brewers game. We were all excited to take the kids to their first Cubs Brewers game. It was that last weekend in July (laughs) and we're on our way up there and we're stuck in like construction traffic in Madison and my son has to pee. And I'm like, you know, and he was he was three at the time. So he was potty trained, but like, I mean, if he, he has to pee, we don't have much notice, you know, right, right. I'm like, okay, we can't pull over anywhere. <laughs> we don't have anything in the car except for like a target bag. <laughs> okay. So I get unbuckled, I go to the back seat of the van and I have, I unbuckle him and I have him stand and pee in the target bag. Well, I don't know if you've ever done that. Or you have sons, right? We peed in some place, but not a bag. (laughs) The pee splattered and went everywhere. (laughs) So I'm like using all of the blankets and the spare, like, you know, 
well, it was the middle of summer, so we didn't have stocking caps, but all the crap you get, sure, you know, like extra clothes. I'm trying to like <laughs> clean up the urine everywhere. Okay, so <laughs> get that all situated. I get him back in the car seat and I go sit up front. And like two minutes later, my daughter starts coughing and coughing and coughing. And she, this was before COVID, but she was getting her one year molars and she had like a ton of phlegm. So she's coughing and coughing. And my husband and I are looking at each other like, ah, I might need to go back there. I think she might puke. So I'm like headed back there. And sure enough, yeah, she like throws up a whole chunk of phlegm and all this stuff. She's sobbing. And all I have are the pee blankets (laughs) to clean her up with. So I'm trying to do that. You know, I'm getting, (laughs) I get it all situated. We get to Milwaukee. We can't find the hotel because it's been bought out by a different company and was renamed. So we finally find it. We go in and because the other company is there, they're remodeling it. So it stinks like paint and wallpaper all over the place. There's like no like good, like there's no place to like eat or gather, you know, cause it's, all yeah. Action. And we, we go in and we were like, okay, let's go to the pool. You know, so we, we go to the pool. That was fun. We come back and there's no bathtub in the hotel room. Like it's only a shower and my kids are terrified of the shower. So that was a mess. Uh, they didn't sleep cause Elliot would cough and cough and cough. And then we sneak her out into the stairwell and let her throw up out in the stairwell and then go back in. We went to the, the Cubs game and my, we, I forgot that we had bought our tickets later or my uncle who bought our tickets had bought them ours later. Cause we were, we didn't give him notice in time. So my whole family who I thought we'd be with was on like the first baseline and Tom and I were by ourselves with the kids on the third baseline, a million rows up. So, and it's like 105 degrees. It was so hot. So we get there and I'm like up there and the, you know, my daughter was one, she just wanted to move. My three-year-old boy just wanted to move. And all I could envision was them like rolling down all of these bleachers to like death, you know? So I, I think we watched maybe like three minutes of the game and the rest of the time I spent down in like the kitty zone sweating profusely. (laughs) At one point I like went to get them ice cream and I had flip-flops on and somebody walked past me and tore off like half my toenail and it was bleeding everywhere. Ah. I just, it was just the, it was the worst trip (laughs) on the way home. We got a flat tire, like to just round off the whole thing. But, but on the way home, I'm like, I'm laughing to myself and Tom's like, what are you laughing at? And I'm like, with as awful as this weekend was, all I can think about is what we would name a third kid. And he's like, what? <laughs> you need to add more to this mess. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. That's all I can think about is if we had a third kid, what would we name it? And then, so that kind of the started the conversation of why was that on your brain? What was happening? I wanted a kid. I wanted another yeah. kid. I think, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like yeah. I, I knew that I was crazy saying that, like at that point in time, that would be the time when most people would be like, yeah, we're for sure done. Good thing. We only have two, you know, <laughs> give it another two years. Maybe we can come back and this will be an enjoyable vacation. <laughs> but no, I was like, I don't know why all I can think about is like, you know, and Tom was like, Oh, I don't know about this, you know? So we kind of, 
chewed on it. And my three-year-old kept saying to me, mommy, can I, I want a baby. Can we have a baby? And I would just say, well, we're going to just, we don't know if we can have another baby, you know? And he's like, why not? Can we pray about it? And I'm like, yes, we can pray about it. You know? So we'd, we'd pray about it. And he'd be like, mom. And every night he would come up on his own mom. I want to ask God to have another baby. And I'm thinking, is this God talking to me? You know, like, is this like a sign? And at one point, you know, and I kept telling him, like, I didn't want him to get his hopes up. I'm like, you know, even if we want something that doesn't mean that we're going to get it, you know, we, we don't know if we're meant to have another baby. And he just looked right at me and he's like, mom, just ask. That's all you need to do. You just need to ask God. And it just kind of settled funny with me, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, I don't know. So, so time kind of went on and in the winter, my husband and I went on a ski trip, just the two of us. Um, and we were riding a chairlift with this older man and he was like, we're just talking with him and he's like, oh yeah, it's me and the boys here today. You know, my daughter's home with my wife. Um, they're, they're cooking, you know, or whatever today. And we got off the chairlift and my husband looked at me and he goes, yeah, I want three. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Something about like, just hearing like, oh, the boys and she's with mom or whatever. He's like, yeah, I I think I'm, I'm okay with with trying this, you know? So it took us (laughs) at least six months, you know, to kind of get in that place. And then it was like, okay, we know that this is probably not going to happen. Like, how are we going to do this? And, um, so I had in my head for, again, whatever reason, I kept thinking like, I could probably do three more miscarriages, which sounds crazy to most people, but I kept thinking like, at least this time I know the odds. I don't have, I can go into it with zero expectations, you know? And I, I don't know why, but the number three just kept coming back to me. I think if I thought if we'd say like, yeah, we're going to give it one more shot and it didn't work, then I'd always want to try again. Yeah. You know, but I would have to pick a certain number to stop or else maybe I would keep trying, you know, for how long. And then it would just lead to more disappointment. So there was a real sense of like trying to protect myself and like Tom and I trying to protect just the vulnerability that we had towards pregnancy, you know? Um, and then there was a day I was at home cleaning and I was like, I I had a very, you know, candid conversation with God. Okay. God, I'm not trying to tell you what to do because I know that it is not my decision, but here's my plan. This is where I'm at. You're telling me through my son that I need to ask you, we're okay with doing this. I, we're going to try. And if I don't get pregnant after three miscarriages, we're done. That's my sign. You know, if you want it to happen, it's got to happen this way or else I'm going to think we're done and we're going to stop. And it, you know, it went on a lot longer than that because conversations like that usually do. Um, And so we started trying, you know, and I got pregnant after a few months and miscarried and actually what I, I, I was okay with that. I think, cause it was like, I knew, I knew what to expect, you know, I knew the odds. Um, but then after that, my cycle just was not like my cycle was all screwy and we had gotten a new house with a hot tub. So I would stay out of the hot tub from the time, you know, I was ovulating until I got my period. 
Um, but Tom was in it all the time and we didn't think much of it. So finally, after a couple more months of my cycle being weird, I called our fertility doctor. I was like, okay, we just, you know, we talked to him. We're like, honestly, we kind of either need to shit or get off the pot. Like this either needs to happen. We need to have these three miscarriages or we need, we need to move on. We need to know. Um, I'm getting older. So he's like, yeah, let's, you know, your cycle does sound pretty, pretty weird right now. Like go on these meds. And when he called me back and he did some tests and when he called me back with my results, I was like, oh, I forgot to ask you, we have a hot tub. And he's like, oh yeah, that'll kill sperm worse than smoking. You got to stay out of there. And I'm like, oh, I was staying out, but my, I didn't even think about my husband. Yeah. I told him and he's like, okay, I guess I'm draining the hot tub today. (laughs) Um, And then we got pregnant and I, you know, was very, like very scared, like no expectations that it would work. We went to the six week ultrasound and heard a heartbeat. And it was the only time we heard a heartbeat with a natural pregnancy, you know, but it measured, it was measuring the day before it usually passed around. So we're like, okay, it has a heartbeat, but we could still lose it. Mm, we don't know, you know. So we went back and had another ultrasound at seven weeks and it had grown and it still had a heartbeat. And at that point, we were like, whoa, this might be okay. Like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> so then we went back for the eight week ultrasound, which at that point, if you have, you know, two ultrasounds that are good, your chances of miscarriage go down to like 5%. And we went, we went out to Culver's because I wanted ice cream and we sat there and Tom's like, I never thought, I never thought we'd actually have three. I didn't think this would work. And we were just so in shock that it actually had worked that far, you know? And even now, like I think about whenever, you know, when the baby does come, hopefully see there, that is again, Mm. all I can think of, it just makes me want to cry. Like the fact that we would actually have three children after all of the things we've been through and the, the whole journey, you know, is so, I I don't even have words for it. You know, it's just so amazing and crazy. And I, it just makes me want to cry even thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. I have two things to say on that front. Number one, um, you, you know, five years ago when you were going through everything would have hated you now (laughs) because you're the one who it all worked for. It all worked out. You would have hated you. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Me thinking to myself, yes, this sucked, but it made me a better person and I'm okay. I would have been like, I would have hated that. I would have hated thinking that also. Yes. Yeah. Um, and second, I want to go back to that conversation you had out loud with God. I just, I so believe in the power of speaking it to whoever you're speaking it to, you know, sometimes I say, I'm just like speaking it to the universe. The universe is God. It's the trees. It's the everything. It's like, Like, I just, I just so believe in the power of that. And I, and even though you're alone in the room, there's still a vulnerability, even though there's no one there to hear you, there's like, no, there's not going to be a recording of this, but like to stand there in yourself and say 
these feelings that were like deep, deep, deep in your chest. Like, I don't know. Do you look back on that moment and think of it as like the, the moment that like changed things for you or that like set in motion or like, how do you, how do you look back on that? I, I look back on it and see it as the moment that solidified the plan. I believe that God knew where I was the whole time, you know, which is part of why I feel comfortable yelling at God when I'm mad sometimes <laughs> yeah. he it anyways. Right. He, God knows that I'm mad or that I'm happy. So why hide it or pretend to hide it, you know? Uh. Um, <laughs> but I think it was the moment where it was like, finally, like I, I got it out. I got it in the open and I know God that you're going to laugh at my plan, but you got to know that I need this. You know, you got to know, like, I'm still leaving it all up to you, but I need some sort of an outline if I'm going to proceed with this. And I feel like after that conversation, I was like, okay, I think we're on the same page. You know, I, I'm admitting I don't have control over the situation, but I do need to protect myself in some way. And this is how I'm going to do it. And I think you're okay with that or else you want to put that in my head. This is the baby that your son asked for and yes. that said, you know, that told you that God would listen if you asked for it. And so I wonder, um, I wonder how you told him that a baby was in fact coming, knowing that, you know, you would be prepared for the worst to happen. But, but how did you prepare him for that? Or how did you approach that? Well, after we hit a good heartbeat and the couple good ultrasounds, I, I mean, I was at that point where like anyone else, essentially, you yeah, who gets pregnant. So I, at that point, I felt pretty confident that we can, we can tell them, you know? Um, and I didn't, I, the, the other thing is that while I was pregnant, before we told the kids, my daughter, who's three, um, we were laying in bed reading and she looks at me and she goes, mommy, um, I'm going to meet my baby sister soon. Is she with you out of nowhere? Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think? <laughs> where, where did you hear that? And she's like, God told me I'm going to meet my baby sister soon. And I was like, did God tell you what it's going to look like? <laughs> trying to get information from her. <laughs> and, and then just as quickly, she changes the subject to like, oh, I want to read this book now. And I'm like, God, that was weird. Like, what, what is that? You know? And I, I, I do kind of believe that kids around that three age, like they kind of know what's going on, but it's like, I feel like they're a little more sensitive to, to like maybe seeing it, you know, seeing things or believing things. And I'm like, where did that come from? And then like a week later, she was like, uh, we were in the car and she's like, mommy, your belly's getting bigger. I think my sister's in there. And I'm like, what, what have you been talking about this? Where's this coming from? Yeah. So I, I, I think that kind of I was like, I don't know if you're trying to tell me something. And I still don't know what the gender is. So I have no Okay. Idea. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Okay. Um, when, when the doctor or your husband or whatever says <laughs> it's a girl, you are going to flip. <laughs> I absolutely am. Cause I was like, <laughs> man, this is just weird. You know? Yeah. Um, 
I, I honestly, I wasn't that nervous about telling them because I figured if we lose it, you know what, when we explain it to them and they learn, you know, what loss is and, and it's unfortunate, but that's, that's also life, unfortunately, yeah. you know? So we, we tell them, I think we, um, we showed them an ultrasound picture, I think, and said, you know, mom's got a baby in her belly. And then ironically enough, even my daughter who told me, she thought God was sending her a sister. She they were both shocked. Like, what? That's like, that's so crazy. And she's really, they're really in your belly and we can't see it. And it, it was really fun. They were, wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So in the last year, um, your other like baby is <laughs> your book. Yes. And your book is, is based around your experiences in your professional work. So, so take people along for that ride. First of all, like, what do you do for a living and, and how did it play into your book? So I am a pediatric physical therapist. I have been for almost 11 years now. Um, and so I see children who have special needs and I teach them how to move, sit, roll, walk, crawl, all those things. Um, and back before I graduated, actually, I had, um, done some respite care for a girl named Molly, um, who had cerebral palsy and I would take her out during our days. We'd go to the library and we'd run at the park and all these things. And she had all these braces and like straps on her legs that would help her walk better. And everybody would, would kind of stare at her, you know, or kind of look, and they weren't meaning anything mean by it, but you could tell they were just like curious, like what, why does she have that stuff on her legs? Like what's going on? And I just kept thinking, boy, it would be really cool if people knew what was going on. You know, she can talk just fine. She can think just fine. She is essentially normal except for how she walks, you know? And I thought, boy, it'd be really cool if I could write like a book or something that would be targeted towards kids, her age, towards young kids that would help explain what was going on. And then I thought, but I'm a brand new therapist. I don't have any experience to talk about this yet. So I kind of waited and then I got a pediatric job and got more experience. And I thought, yeah, I still want to do this. Like it just never left my head, but I didn't have kids yet. And I didn't really know what kind of books were out there. And I'm like, I'm going to wait till I have kids so that I know what kind of children's books are out there, that kind of stuff. So then I had kids, which we all know that journey now that was took longer than expected. (laughs) Um, and then I looked into it again and it seemed impossible. Like everything I looked up on how to like write a children's book and publish it was like, yeah, it's pretty much never going to happen. You know, they'll never buy your story. You even if you have like an English degree or a writing degree, it's impossible. And I was really discouraged. I'm like, oh, this probably isn't going to happen, but it still never left my head. Um, and from that point on, it was like a series of like really great friends in my life. I talked to a friend who I hadn't talked to in a while and she said, yeah, I'm writing a book. And I'm like, what, how are you doing that? How are you getting it published? And she said she was self-publishing it, which I didn't really realize was a thing at the time. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting 
idea, you know? So then I was telling a different friend about it and she was like, you need to do this. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know an illustrator though. Like, I don't know. I can't illustrate for, you know, really good at all. I don't know what I would even need to do to do that. She's like, Kate, just start it. Just write the story. And you know, you, you have to start somewhere. It's like, okay. So I wrote the story and then I found, um, a friend who had been in teaching for a long time to edit it for me. And I rewrote it and then COVID hit and I didn't do anything because, you know, we're all trying to survive COVID. Right. So then last September, so September of 2020, um, that same friend, uh, texted me and she just said, I have an illustrator for you. That was all the text said. And I'm like, what, (laughs) what do you mean? You know? And I'm thinking, I don't really, have time for this right now, but how do I pass this up? I have to at least meet with this lady. So I met with this lady named Maggie, who is actually the illustrator of the book. And she, um, had done a lot of work with the Meredith corporation, which is the magazine company in Des Moines, um, and knew a lot about page layouts. She had illustrated a book before, you know, she was, um, she loved the, the concept of the book and what it represented, Um, and I kind of told her, you know, I don't really, it's probably not going to make a lot of money. Just, just FYI. How do you feel about that? And she was like, that's fine. It's the passion project for you. It would be the same for me. That's okay. So I'm like, okay, this could, this could work. So I had worked like literally for like two weeks, kind of sending emails back and forth to her on the characters and what I thought they would look like, which was fun. And then I started talking to a different friend um, who I hadn't talked to in a while. And I, we were just doing life updates and I told her about this and she's like, Oh yeah, my friend has a children's book publishing company. And I'm like, that's not true. (laughs) 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 There's no way (laughs) she's like, no, no, seriously. Um, you know, she's, she's this friend, you know, whatever. And, And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Send me your name. But I'm thinking like, there's no way this lady's legit, you know, (laughs) like this cannot work out this well. But I looked up the lady after our conversation, her name's Brooke. And I'm like, sure enough, she'd written like three of her own children's books and she was publishing other books and she had a whole company and I'm like, okay, I guess. So I emailed her and we met through zoom and she had this whole presentation and I learned a lot through the presentation. It was very professional. I could tell she knew what she was doing. And I thought, holy cow, I think this might actually happen. I I had wanted it to, but realistically had been shushing it for so long <laughs> that I, I couldn't believe it. And uh, sure enough, I I, I talked to him my husband and, he, and I was, is this okay with you? You know, <laughs> Katie, this has been your dream forever. Yes. Like do it. You have to, you know? So I signed the contract with her in December and it, it has been such a fun whirlwind learning experience since I, you know, in January we did heavy edits, um, and basically had the story written by the end of January. And then the illustrator started, you know, and that's fun too. Cause it's like, you know, you kind of set the story to the different pages and she did like a rough draft and then I okayed it, you know, or didn't okay it. And then we added color and then we did a cover and we did a sketch of the main character. So 
all these fun things. And then I had to start marketing, which to be honest, I'm not great with. That is definitely <laughs> involves me pushing my comfort zone more than any other part of writing the book. Um, oh, that's how I feel about marketing a podcast. I'm like, just, just listen to it. Okay. Don't make me beg you. <laughs> yes. Right? I mean, like, it's so hard. It's like, Hey, look at me. I'm wonderful. You know, it's not easy. No, no. Yeah. So that's, I, I feel you completely on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is a struggle. So, okay. So you're learning how to market yourself. Yes. I'm learning about how to use Facebook. Cause to be honest with you, even though I'm of a generation that should know how to work it, I don't know how to work Facebook very well, but I'm learning then. So the summer was pretty much like marketing. I took a lot of classes on how to do things, how to launch your book, how to make a website, how to do all these things. And I got a lot of that done. And then we hit kind of like the book was finished. I think I got it in July, like my copy. Um, and then we did pre-orders and, um, I shipped all them out myself, which was, it was so cool. I like, I can't even, I don't know, like holding my book and reading it to my kids for the first time was so amazing. I, I don't even have words for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, the, the whole thing has gotten better ever since that day. Like, it's just, I've, I've been doing book readings and signings and I feel like I've been on a little tour of my life. You know, I went to my grade school and saw all these people I haven't seen in forever. It was so wonderful. I went to my university and saw my old college professors and they were all super supportive and it's just been fun. <laughs> okay. So what about the Molly who inspired the book? Like, Talk to me about that. Yeah. So the real Molly is 17 yeah. now. She actually came to the, one of the book signings because I had talked to her mom when I started thinking like, okay, this actually might happen, you know, probably a year ago. Uh, cause I wanted to make sure like, is this okay? Do you want me to change the name? You know, cause the character ha is a twin in the book and has brothers where the real Molly is an only child, but the physical characteristics of Molly are modeled after the real Molly. Her mom was like, no, she thinks this is great. And she, she does. She loves it. She was um, going to do like a service project and take him to some local preschools and talk to him about her having cerebral palsy and what that means for her. So yeah, she, yeah, has embraced it and has done really well with it, which makes me happy because I wouldn't want to make her feel uncomfortable, you know? Sure. Sure. Oh, how incredibly cool. Yeah. So it's been super fun. I have like a whole list of like, I want to make it a series, you know, um, and do, do more books about Molly. And that's exciting too, to think about. So right now, where can people get the book? So it's available anywhere books are sold. So it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books A Million. If you Google search it, you know, Walmart even pops up. If you want a signed copy, you can go to my website, which is what I would recommend, <laughs> uh, which is www.kdjpersal.com. And you can just click on books and then Molly's big score and order it through PayPal there if you want. Maybe so have you had that moment of walking into a store and seeing your book on the shelf? Uh, yes, I did at a local bookstore here yeah. in town and it was so cool. <laughs> it was so cool. I keep looking at the library, <laughs> our local library. When I'm there, I like go to the peas and I'm like, oh, is it in here yet? You know, cause that's another moment. I'm like, oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. Oh, how very cool. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's been so much fun. 
So we um, just hit an hour. So I want to be respectful of your time. So I kind of want to wind things down unless there's something um, specifically that I'm missing that you want to make sure that we talk about. The only thought I had was uh, a, a thing that actually kind of links the two is that when my husband and I were going through all of our fertility issues, you know, and we felt very lonely and kind of this, why us? Cause that's like what everyone feels like when yeah. they're going through a rough time. Right. There were a number of our friends that had other issues going on, you know, um, one of them got divorced. Um, another one's like, living child had medical issues and passed away, you know, just people's parents were getting sick, different things. And we kind of had this tagline between the two of us that like, everyone has their shit, right? This is you, the situation is unique to us, but the fact that we're going through a struggle as a couple is the same thing all couples go through. It's just in different lights. Right. And that kind of really helped us get through a lot of it and accept a lot more of it. It's just the realization that this isn't just us. Everyone has their shit, right? Everyone has their stuff that is a problem for them that they may or may not talk about. People may or may not see or may or may not know about, and no one has to, but everyone has something. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, you probably haven't read the book, but one of the big things in the book, and this is my favorite part of it, um, is where Molly's really struggling because she keeps falling and she's really frustrated that her legs don't work like every other kids. And her mom says, Molly, everyone has differences. You just can't always see them. Your brother struggles with math. Your other brother has trouble making friends. Just because you can't see other people's struggles doesn't mean they're not there. And that, which is my favorite part of the book, absolutely came from the fertility journey that we had and us realizing that everyone has struggles, right? Yeah. So it, um, normally the, the two things that I'm talking about today wouldn't be, wouldn't be linked, but it, they do have this kind of unique connection where I was able to take what I learned from the awfulness of our fertility situation and, you know, use it to what I hope sends a positive message to children and adults and anyone who reads this book. I really, really like that. So that's probably a mantra that, that carries you forward on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, honestly, yes, it is. And, and when I talk to people to, you know, friends who are having, you know, a hard time going on, it, it just continues to be reiterated for me. Yeah. Or I, I even tell them like, you're not alone, you know? Yeah. Maybe with this particular instant instance, but we all have different struggles. You, you cannot, it does not help anyone to think, wow, this is just me going through this life hates me. I, you know, like, and yeah, maybe you can allow yourself a little bit of a pity party, but in the grand scheme of things, life is hard on everyone at certain times. Yeah. You know, even as I said in the beginning, you know, you have your highs and your lows. Like I, I I've had a wonderful year. I'm so, I feel so blessed and I know I need to really enjoy that because yeah. that's not going to continue my whole life. There's going to be lows where I'm going to feel miserable, you know, but hopefully I have, I, I have these memories of all these good things and all these positive things that can help carry me through that. 
I'm going to share my little mantra that I was talking to my friend about today. I've had a shit year. I've had a terrible year. It's been awful. Um, and it's just been my, everyone has their shit year. Um, and so I'm sorry, by the way, that sucks. <laughs> well, you know, everyone has their shit. Okay. It still sucks though. But yeah, yes. <laughs> I know you deserve to have a good year and this is my bad year. So you know what? Everybody has their shit. Uh, which the fact that you swear means that you're my people. So yay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so n- number one, f- a huge thing for me. And I, and I feel like maybe this might've come up, um, when you were having your shit is like the surrender to it, you know, of, mm-hmm. of acknowledging lack of control, you know, like I now give this over yeah. to, to, you know, the universe, to God, to whatever I give this over. I now surrender. Um, and then once you surrender you, um, and this is like my new mantra is you have to believe that what is meant to be yours is already yours and it will not pass you by. You know, yeah. a job opportunity, if it wasn't meant to be yours, it's, it's not yours, but what is yours is coming. What is yours is yours, you know? And like, I think pairing the idea of what's meant to be yours will not pass you by with the ability to let go of the control of that has really helped me through a shit year. So I just wanted to share that because- it's helped me recently. I I would totally agree with that. I don't know that I would have been able to accept that or believe that when I was in my shit year. Oh, no, I no. Feel like that's kind of <laughs> incredible that you can get to that point while you're in the thick of it. Yeah. And yeah. And I'm getting through my shit year and I think I have better clarity because of that, you know, but yeah, no, when you're in it, no, when you're yeah, in you it, no, you can't see that. So I'm yeah. Like, yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like I've learned that through what has happened. You know, you almost, you have to go through the shit to get, you have to, you know, it's the storm before the rainbow. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think I would totally agree with that. There's this thing about this podcast where guests come to me when I need to hear their voice and their perspective. And so that's who you are for me tonight is I absolutely needed to hear your story. And I absolutely needed to hear that everyone has their shit. So thank you for this conversation. You are welcome. And thank you. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that because things work in weird ways sometimes. And yeah, it's just, it's cool. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.